The subtitle is Essential Attitudes for Studying Nature and the Bible in a Noisy World. So it's all about the attitudes that we need to have in order to actually see the truth. How do you find truth? Well, you have to have the right posture, the right way of looking at things. So that's, that's what this is about. Every single chapter could be done in like a small group setting or a group gathering. Each chapter takes about 20 to 25 minutes to read, and then there's questions at the end. Lots of fundamental concepts. You can get it for $10 here at retreat, although I only brought 20. So at this moment, it's first come, first serve, but that th I think there'll be a book table later today, and I have a QR code if you want to pay via something other than cash. So the QR code will be at the book table too. Um, I can also ship more to your campus at the $10 price if you let me know, and I'll talk to a campus pastor and we'll ship that. It's written for you. Okay, third thing in this preface. So Jack talked about talk groups. What that basically means is we're just going to have a group of people from, you know, three or four is probably the typical size for our talk groups and talk through things that we're learning in the message and things God's saying to us and also just get to know each other. There is a way of going about talk groups that's really helpful. So <clears throat> have you ever been in a room where somebody shares something and then somebody else says, well, that's like my experience in this or that and the other thing, and they talk for a while? Then somebody else pipes up, well, that reminds me of this, and then they talk for a while. And then the first person shares something important, and then the second person says, well, that reminds me of this, and then they share for a while, and then another person pipes up and says, well, that reminds me of that, da 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 and on it goes. And this goes on for a long time, but nobody pays real attention to what anyone else said. Okay, I've been in a, a few rooms like that before, and we, we want to avoid that. Okay, so let's, let's think, how, how would you participate in a talk group? First of all, it's really good to be mindful of what you're saying. I, is what I'm saying adding to the conversation? Is it meaningful to everybody else? Or am I just rambling? Okay, so let's, let's work to be mindful. That's a great principle. Um, coaching your words toward the people who are in front of you. And secondly, being super inquisitive about everybody else in your group. So which basically means I, I choose to share less, I ask questions. My first response is rather than, oh, that you know, gives me this squirrel trail and that gives me this rabbit loop, is I ask a follow-up question. Tell me more about that. So two disciplines, one being mindful of what we say, coaching our words. Secondly, asking good questions, being inquisitive about other people and drawing them out. That's the routine we want to have, not only in talk groups, by the way, but any, actually any time. When you're in a one-on-one, when you're in a classroom, when you're just hanging out and playing Frisbee in your core group, whatever. Okay, so new, good discipline, I invite you to it. All right, now comes the Q&A time. All right, so I, I, I only received one overt question so far, and that was, where's the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> so I already answered that one, so we're going to move on to other questions. I did fish for a couple questions, and here's an interesting question. I th think this was a central student. Um, is supernatural healing just something that is still yet unexplained by science? 
In other words, how do we know if God did it or it's just something that we don't know? Maybe, maybe we could explain it in the future. So there, there, there are some interesting passages in the scripture. By the way, I'm literally talking off the top of my head right now, so I didn't prepare for this. But I'm, I'm very accustomed to Q&A time. So um, you think about one of the Psalms that talks about um, David says, Lord, you, you made me in my mother's womb. Um, it's a famous psalm. How is it possible that God could make us in our mother's womb when we also have science to tell us how the cellular mitosis works and how each stage of pregnancy works? Well, the truth is that God often is not a complete separate replacement for everything in nature, but he's actually working in conjunction with the things that happen in our natural world. He created the natural world, and so him working within created means is fine, but we can also say he has intention and purpose and plan in the things that happen. And we cannot explain how he does that. We cannot explain how he formed us in our mother's womb. We just know that theologically he did. And miracle often can turn out to be that same way. You know, I'm sure you could figure out, well, what are the means by which the water turned into wine in Jesus' famous miracle in the book of John? It's the first miracle recorded in the book of John. Well, maybe, you know, you could like, study that moment if we could ever go back. But at the same time, clearly, the, it's intended by John to say God did this. So um, I, I don't know if there's a specific answer to your question, central student other than there is a means by which we rise above the natural and we say God is also involved in this. And he lets us know. Another question that I got from someone was, can I come back to you tomorrow? <laughs> so I'll eagerly entertain some other questions for tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, okay? Tomorrow morning? Let me ask a question of all of you. So this is a dialogue moment. When, when there are more safety nets than ever in our society today, I mean, there's financial fallbacks and you can get loans uh, forgiven and there's, there's food banks and there's all sorts of safety mechanisms and there's people who give guidance for how to you know, figure out your major and your career and there is help everywhere. Why is it that anxiety and worry and corresponding depression have only increased in recent years and decades. So let's just talk for a minute. I'd love to hear from you. What are some of your thoughts? Yeah, you don't have to speak up. Okay, what, what about social media? Okay, so in social media, we're constantly exposed to pictures of life that seem better than ours, and our brains naturally make a comparison which makes us feel less. Okay, that, which is constantly true in any kind of social media. Yes, other front row, and then we'll have to go back. Okay, what is commonly, s I'm going to quote you, so what is commonly seen as genuinely valuable now is sinful in nature. 
Okay, so there's a, a, a normalization of things that are actually unhealthy in our society. Okay, so it's destructive to our mental health and our well-being. Okay, that's good. Yes. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I, I read, uh, oh, oh, sorry, everyone. I figured out how to do this. When my phone is working and I look at Facebook, um, it, it pops up these, th there's a news feed in Facebook now that didn't used to be there, and in the news feed I'll see things like so-and-so's reaction against so-and-so's uh, wardrobe. And it's like everything is literally presented to me and most of it is like socially urgent. <laughs> everything seems urgent. Um, if you just went back 20 years ago, we just had paper media, you read less of that, you lived more of your, your own life, and the things that were concerning were like truly concerning. We're not made to carry the weight of the entire world, and so constantly being exposed to it erodes our selves. Yeah. One more thought. Oh, we can't go front row again. I'm sorry, Spencer. So, yes. No, no. Okay, go back here. It, uh, Italia. Yes. Yes, modern romance and love. They're, but maybe driven by our images of what it's supposed to look like, media. And so we end up in relationships with the wrong mindset, pursuing the wrong things. Yeah. Okay, yes, one more. Say it one more time. Yeah, which... Okay, and identity. So tell me more about identity. We're going to keep thinking, yes, Sarah. Too much pressure? Wait. Parents. Oh. Depends on the family, maybe. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yes, okay. So let's pause there. And we'll, w this is great food for thought, by the way. I just want to say yes to everybody, but really can't at this moment. Um, a lot of the things we've talked about were present more than 20 years ago, but are amplified in our present time because of the constant accessibility of ideas and images 
cultural stuff that just intrudes into every moment of our life. Uh, I love to take drives from my house up into the mountains nearby because when I do that, uh, almost instantly, you start to hear the creek, hear the wind in the trees, turn off my phone, I start to feel better, like calmer, less cluttered. And we just need daily routines where we do that. And without that, we, are, we will constantly be pressured by everything around us. So food for thought, just think about your own daily routines and how you can create more space just to be yourself without all the expectations and space for Jesus to speak into your life. All right, quick reminder about note-taking. I would love for you to take notes. I believe there's one or two more notebooks back there. Would anyone want that last one? Just raise your hand. And if you would like a Bible, raise your hand, and we'll just get some people to hand out notebooks and Bibles. Stick your hands up. Again, just write down points that stand out to you. Maybe the outline. Write down some questions that are asked. Write down scriptures that stand out. Talk to God through your pen. So this begins with a story. You can have Jonah just bookmarked, by the way. We're going to get to it in a moment. This in this story, I'm standing in another stairwell. <laughs> it's, this is my sophomore year of college, Washington State. Uh, many things had happened. I tried going out on a date with a girl because I was infatuated, and I really had the wrong idea of what I was trying to do. It didn't go well. Uh, I'm just, I'm starting, or I should say restarting, a physics class that I was forced to drop the previous semester because I was not doing well in it. And now also I'm scared about whether I'm going to pass it or not. I had just finished my summer job, which was working on a farm, driving this combine two miles an hour all summer, heavy equipment out in the hot sun. Um, I was surrounded by nature, which I loved. It was hard, hard work. I came home covered in dust every day and surrounded by a culture of coworkers who swore constantly and talked about women in the worst ways. And I'm coming out of that summer, and now I find myself in this classroom every day, and, and my mind has changed, and I'm fantasizing about inappropriate things and thinking about other people wrongly in the class and women wrongly, and all of my attitudes are, are just more sharp and hard-edged in my relationships. And basically, in short, my mind and my heart feel cluttered. Sometimes good, sometimes I feel good, sometimes I feel gross. I think cluttered is probably a good way to describe that daily experience. So I start walking into this stairwell every day. It's concrete. It's attached to the side of a 12-story building. So it's separate from the building. You walk through a breezeway into the stairwell, and it's 12 stories of hard, smooth concrete, to concrete top to bottom, and it echoes beautifully. So I start to sing. I've never sung much in my life, but in this stairwell, it sounds amazing. I sing songs that I learned in Chi Alpha. In fact, uh, we often had a worship leader 
in our, in our retreats who would write a song. <laughs> Every time we had a retreat, this, this guy was uniquely gifted. He was a songwriter. And so we always had worship songs that were written by students in our ministry. And I sang those songs in this stairwell. And oftentimes, tears would pour down between class. It was hard to tell why the tears poured down. Sometimes it was just the poignancy of the music. Um, sometimes it was because of the pains and challenges and the clutter that I was trying to address in my life. All of it was refreshing. The tears, the singing, the getting away to that quiet space. I came away from those times warmer, closer to God, feeling safer, feeling more like, a little bit more like myself. And I did make a few decisions. I was deciding because I was going to go back to that same summer job driving that combine, same co-workers. I decided I needed a God time in my life every day to recenter myself. I started doing that and I decided to wait a couple more years before going on a date again. I just, I placed that in God's hands while I said I'm going to work on my relationship with Jesus. I'm going to work on my thought life. And I was going to let the words that I was singing actually carry through through the rest of my day and impact my attitudes every day. One of the greatest hindrances to hearing God's voice is our own self. It's our own opinions and our own thoughts. Those hinder us from hearing the Lord. I think the second greatest hindrance to hearing the voice of God is just the clamor of voices around us. Sometimes intoxicating uh, cultural things that just swell around us and it makes it harder, harder for us to hear the voice of God. It's the noise internally and externally. We often need a solid reset. We need a reset. We need a place and a discipline and a right heart. So today we're going to talk about Jonah sitting in the belly of the fish we're going to talk about what his reset looked like and how to model it in our own lives. Okay, so, are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> um, if you want a book that would help you to establish some kind of daily focus with God, this book is a great book. It's called The Divine Mentor. I'll leave it on the back so you can see it. It just tells you how to take things like in Scripture and how to let them indwell into yourself and turn them from, from words into life. Okay, before we read this section, it's Jonah chapter 2. Before we read this section, I want to give us a new perspective on what we're reading. I personally often think of the book of Jonah as like a parable. Now, I, I'm not concerned, actually, about knowing whether there was a whale or it actually says a fish, but I'm not concerned about that, or whether there was a physical possibility that somebody could even breathe inside of a fish digestive tract under the ocean. I'm not concerned about that. I, if you prefer to see God's miracle at work here, I think that's great. It was, a, In other words, it's a miracle that God calls the fish. It's a miracle that God brought the storm. It's a miracle that God allowed Jonah to survive under the water for three days. That's great. You should see the three days in the fish as a miracle, too. Just don't bring science into it and try to over-explain it. 
God is at work here. But on the other hand, parables are a part of every culture on earth, in history. Parables are woven throughout human culture. Jesus told parables, which basically means they were stories with a point, stories that made sense and they had clear points, using familiar points of reference. So we know Jonah was a familiar person to the people of Israel. You can find him in one verse in the Bible in 1 Kings. Uh, I didn't write down where. I'll pull it out in a minute. Jonah's in 1 Kings. And so was the nation of Assyria, also in the Bible, points of reference that were familiar. And on the other hand, everything else in the story is vague. In other words, it's not rooted. So, for example, it'll mention the king of Nineveh, but it doesn't name the king of Nineveh, which is what happens everywhere else in the Bible. You always name kings. You don't just say generically. So there are points at which things are left more vague, just kind of, here's a story. So I prefer to see this as a parable, a what-if with a point. If you want a couple examples, um, there was a movie called Gladiator, which was a what-if about if the Roman emperor and his chief general chose to give the empire back to being a republic. Uh, there, there was another movie called Inglorious Bastards, which was a movie about what if Hitler had been killed before the war ended. Okay, so like we're, we're not unfamiliar with this idea. The point is to make us think. Anyway, jo Jonah's reset is a model for us. So chapter 2, I've titled this, Turning is a Gift from God. We're going to start in the verse right before 2 verse 1, and that's verse 17 of the first chapter, and it says this. Now the Lord provided a huge fish. The original language, it actually might say something like the Lord appointed a fish. In other words, he, he called a fish to come. To swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And he said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. Again, by the, this just goes back to the Q&A Q a, a moment ago. Jonah says God hurled him into the sea. Who was it that hurled Jonah into the sea? God and the sailors. So God is a part of the physical processes happening. It was the sailors that threw him in, but Jonah says actually it was God. Into the heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now this, you might want to mark this in your Bible, this is the moment of the turning. Everything in this prayer, this, there's this prayer we're reading, is mirrored around this center verse right here. I have been banished from your sight, semicolon, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. There's a turn that happens here. 
It's mirrored about this verse. Jonah's life before is, I was banished. I was without God. His life after the semicolon is, I turn to you. I am taking action and honoring you, God. Okay, so th there's, there's a turning moment. Then Jonah amplifies it beginning in verse 5. He, he adds more to it. So he says, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. So you, there's a lot of imagery here, but you're picking up the image that he feels like trapped, barred, encircled, wrapped in the seaweed around his head. I mean, fantastic imagery, but stuck. When my life was, oh, but you, Lord, brought my life up from the pit. There's the turn again. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. There's the turn again. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now there's a summary. Those who cling to worthless idols, and maybe you would put some things in here for worthless idols, distractions, wrong ways of thinking, addictions. Those who turn from these things, those who cling to these things, turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. In other words, I will get rid of those distractions. I'll get rid of wrong ways of thinking and addictions. I will, in my case, I will turn off the phone. <laughs> what I have vowed I will make good, and I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So as always, I want us to know what the scripture says and learn to obey what we learn once we understand it. That's what it means to have a working relationship with God. We know and then we follow through, a habit of action. So what we see Jonah do here is something that I think you would call an act of repentance. I wrote it in all caps in my notes, an act of repentance. What is repentance? In other words, so I'm using the word turning here to describe the image, what it means. What is the turn? What is repentance? Well, there's, there's a New Testament word for repent. It simply means to, you know, in the basics of it, it means to change your mind. Jesus began his ministry with a call to repentance. That was the first thing that he said to people when he walked around Israel. This is the next step for living in the kingdom of God. Repent and believe the good news. Mark 1, verse 15, and in each of the other Gospels. So it's, it's good news. Repenting is good news, and it starts with a change. In the Old Testament, the corresponding word, which I, I'm sticking up here, I think. Yes. That's Hebrew. You would pronounce it shuv. It means to turn back or away from. And therefore, the implication is to return and to return to rightness. Repentance often involves turning away from idolatry, things that get in the way, to walking in the true worship of God, Yahweh. Yahweh is his biblical name. And walking away from the wrong behavior. But most importantly, uh, uh, there's an additional nuance in the Old Testament, and this word, shuv, often comes with accompanying sorrow. 
Like there's a recognition. Uh, you know, I, I feel grieved about this. And we embrace grief, even if it's not felt, because you can't control your emotions. It's still acted out. I act out the grief. I say, okay, I'm, I'm sorrowful, and I demonstrate that. In response to this repentance, God forgives and restores. There's a wonderful example in the book of Psalms. If you read any of the Old Testament stories and you read about King David, who ended up in an adultery, he writes a psalm after he comes back to repentance. That psalm is Psalm 51. And I'm, I want to read it off the screen here. Psalm 51, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So David is trapped under judgment. He's humbled before God, and all he can do is pray, God, help, create in me a clean heart. Don't let your presence move away from me, but restore in me salvation and the joy of salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to make this turn. I'd like to point out in this psalm three stages of repentance. We see these same stages all over the Bible, including what we just read in Jonah. This is a reality. It's how repentance works, right on the right side. So, number one, acknowledging your unhealthy situation. It says in verse one in Jonah, Jonah says, in my distress, in my distress. Jonah's acknowledging it multiple times through Jonah's words. He acknowledges, I am stuck. I've got the seaweed is wrapped around my head. So I'm barred in and trapped. From the deep in the realm of the dead, that's another phrase of Jonah's. Acknowledging your unhealthy situation. Where I'm at is going to cause death. I think there are quite a few modern distractions, distortions of thinking, addictions, which threaten and surround us and bar us in. I hope last night and this morning, you take it seriously just to make a list, like, articulating your life, I think this is a trap. I think this is a bar. This is something that encircles me. Make a list. And talk to God about those things. The point is that we start in stage one by recognizing our lostness. What engulfs you, devours you, corrupts you. Recognize. Stage two there is reaching out for help. It's calling out to God. It's prayer. And it's more than prayer. <laughs> Sometimes it's reaching out to a person. Reach out to somebody and say, help. There's a, there's a prayer acronym that I learned as a kid. It could, it, it's either ACTS or CATS. A-C-T-S or C-A-T-S. It stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. It's just a model for how to have a daily prayer. Adoration, I, I spend some time just praising God. Confession, this stage, 
I spend some time reaching out for help, acknowledging my situation, confessing, saying, God, help. Thanksgiving, which is in the A-C-T-S, so Thanksgiving, I'm thanking God for what he's done, in not only in my life, but everywhere. And then S, A-C-T-S, stands for supplication. That means I, I'm asking God to supply some needs in my life. I, th this is mostly what us... Uh, mostly what all of us major on is S. We pray S all the time. God, I need this. But there, there's other stages in our relationship to God. Finally, stage three here is making a change in actions. Going through the turn. Turning from brokenness into goodness. Ask yourself, what do I turn from? That usually means there, there's attitudes and there's actions or there's addictions or whatever, there's things that I turn from, but it also means asking, what do I turn to? Okay, so often there's a replacement process. We'll read the replacement process for Jonah tonight. You know, his, his, his step in the wrong direction yesterday was he ran away from the Lord. He fled from the Lord to Tarshish. The turn for him involves walking toward Nineveh. We'll read about that tonight. What is our change? You have to replace prior action with present action to bring health and goodness. Okay. I wrote myself some side notes here, and I'm going to say them before we finish up here. What we were talking about last night, which was really listening to God, and this morning, which is the process of making things right in relationship, turning, repenting, making things right. These are, are disciplines of, of basic health. So I wouldn't want you to be dismissive of those topics simply because you might say, well, I know that. Wh when you think about what it's like to be living as a human being, your heart is beating all the time. What would happen if your heart stopped beating? Okay, other functions of your life, such as thinking, would cease. You've got your heart beating, you've got your breathing, all that is semi-autonomous. Oh, there's a word for it. Autonomic? It's an autonomic system, right? So things are happening that are basic disciplines in our life that enable all of the rest of the things that we do in life that we're actually thinking about to be able to happen. These two things, listening to God, making things right, turning in relationship, these things are basic disciplines. Without them, we cannot proceed in health and in spiritual maturity. These are fundamental. We need to come back to them every month. Every week, every year, we come back and say, okay, Lord, how can I settle things again? Write my path with you. Lord, how, how can I refresh my listening instinct because it's gotten cluttered again? It's going to happen your whole life. Clutter comes in, distraction comes in, addiction comes in. We have to get back to the basic disciplines, not dismiss it, but embrace it as a part of the life that we live with him. So I, I want to ask... Uh, final question here, which is, what should we know about turning? And I'm going to start with a story. Got a lot of stories. There's two in a row here. 
One story is about myself and God. When I was a senior in college, this is several years later after the stairwell, I moved back into a residence hall. I told you that last night. I, I did that because there was words from God that I, I responded to. God said, place yourself in a spot where I could grow most in my faith. God told me I needed to actually replace my personal self with two other students before I graduated. And I had, there was a guy at church that prayed that prayer over me once, once it became clear that's what God was calling. We prayed that I would replace myself with two more students who had the same passion for Jesus in the campus ministry before I left. So I moved into this residence hall, Strait Param Hall. It was a powerful commitment. That year, in our opening weeks, we met two freshmen from another hall right nearby. And within a few days, I knew in my heart these were the two guys who were going to replace me. God wanted me to train them. So I invested heavily in them. Um, I met every week with them one-on-one. -on -one. It's a great thing to do. And I also hung out in their dorm rooms every week. By the end of the year, one of their roommates had come to faith in Jesus. Incredible things were happening. But every evening, I, I shouldn't say every evening, but several times a week, I, I, I had discovered, because this was in the mid-1990s, I had discovered that our dorm had been wired with high-speed internet. Okay, so back then there was either no internet, and you went to a computer lab on campus to get internet, but they, in our dorm they wired it with high-speed internet. First time, probably the first campus in the state, I think. It was before automated search engines like Google didn't exist yet. You have to find everything the hard way and through links that people leave in forums and stuff like that. By happenstance, I, I stumbled across a forum that posted pornography pictures and my, found myself very suddenly and rapidly ensnared. There's you know, no like safeguards in the internet back then. There was no systems in place where we have systems now to help each other kind of reduce the load of all of those things. Just raw exposure. And so I, I struggled with that, just viewing and I'd go a number of days, because I, I felt like, God, this, this can't, this isn't good. But I'd go a few days, but then I'd stumble into it again, because it, it was just readily there. And I've always found since then that the moment that I said, God, this needs to change, was the moment that I began a journey toward freedom. Um, I began talking to God about it rather than kind of sleeping the sleep of remorse, hiding from the experience. I continued talking with my campus pastor, Steve. I turned when I began taking some steps, some actual steps in my life to do something about it, including one which is just deepening my God time every day. A second one was making some mindset shifts. Um, by mindset shifts, mindset shifts, I mean taking the thoughts that you think about others when you see uh, images, you see people, et cetera, you talk to them, and replacing the negative thoughts with scriptures. And so I'd replace, replace, in the turn, I would replace thoughts. 
And also, I changed some routines in my life. One of them was, I were, and I worked this out with Steve, I'm going to turn my computer off at this time of the night. Here's the time when I turn the computer off. Some of those routines continue to this day in my life. For example, um, I, there are certain places and times of day where I, ju I just won't go to certain spots on campus at Central. So, um, I'm not going to describe any of this. I'm just going to say there's places I choose not to go because I know that it causes my mind to wander and, and drift into temptation and, and lust. To this day, I'm just, I just have these you know, fences that help me. I do things to protect my marriage. I've been married now for 22 and a half years. Does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Becky's here now. Hannah's here. Welcome. Um, I, d I do this, I keep some of those same routines just to be an example, also. Um, here's the second story. This is about myself and others. Right before we got married, Becky and I got married, I lived in our Chi Alpha house at Central. So Chi Alpha actually owns a house and rents it out to students in the ministry for, for um, housing. And one guy who lived there had left his Nintendo 64 console there for the summer. So it was the summer. He left his console there. I was still living there. Uh, it's two weeks before I got married. And I started playing the flagship game of the system, which I don't, some of you may be barely old enough. I don't know. It was Donkey Kong 64. <laughs> I hadn't been big into video games as a kid, but I found I, got, I could get really good at this game. I get it, the music is in my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in the two weeks before my wedding, I played all the way up to the boss match, the final level. Okay, it, was, it was a lot of hours. That's a lot of time. In a season when I, when I needed to be doing other things, I'm about to get married, preparing my heart and my life for a, a big shift and a new person in my life. Um, I was just in front of the screen the whole time. We got married, and I asked the guy if I could take the console home to our new apartment to keep playing, to finish that last level. And in my head, I thought I may want to actually go through the game again. And I remember Becky's uncertainty about that idea. <laughs> I, I don't honestly remember how much of a conversation we had so long ago, but I do remember, and I kid you not, I took the console back to the Kyle house. I left it there for the guy. I did not finish the boss match. I never have finished it. I never will. I let that branch die and be pruned off of me. Not that video games in themselves are bad, but what it became was something that was going to be harmful. So just like that image of the, the pruning that we read this morning in John 15, I let that leaf be pruned out of my life. I turned away, and my life has borne, as a result, has borne different fruit since then. 
So I have two things to say. What do we need to know about turning? And number one is turning is a normal part of all relationship. It's like super normal. It's crucial in our relationship with God and it's cru crucial with others. In fact, we should work to normalize the process of making, making things right in a relationship. Yeah. Like, make it so basic and common that it's a boring part of our life. There's nothing unique about this. I do this as a habit. I, I love using the example of a marriage here because a marriage is a good stand-in for what, uh, maybe what a relationship with God is like where we're, we're bonded together. And it's a model for what really good friendships are like too where we, we kind of friendship bonds that we form. So he, people who are successfully married understand that right, tight relationship only comes from daily humility and repentance. Okay, <laughs> all the married people are laughing. Anybody who's been in a dating relationship, well, I can just tell you the success of that relationship often depends on your ability to be humble and consistently coming back and making things right again. The best peace, happiness, comes when the air has been cleared. The same is true in our relationship with Jesus. So in our society, we've forgotten this, and we have to work to make it a healthy part of our lives again. If we take this statement for real, that the truth is that all of us are in need of small little turns and, and maybe larger ones throughout the day, this will be good for us. It'll be so good. Number two, the second thing I would say is that turning is also a gift from God. Turning is a gift from God. You could look at, I'll just give you two scriptures where you could look up and you can see how it's actually said to be a gift. Acts eleven eighteen. In that verse we read, to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. God grants repentance. This means there is great security in the act of repentance. There's another one in 2 Timothy 2.25, where Paul says to Timothy, go and teach these people so that they may have the gift of repentance and they may have the opportunity to turn. Again, there is great security in the act of repentance. We are safe, we are loved, because it's a natural step that brings health and life. I'll give you an example here. So I wear a ring on this hand. This ring is a sign that Becky and I have made a vow, a lifelong bond. I, I really never take this off, so it doesn't matter if I'm rock climbing or washing the dishes. The ring's just always on, so it has just a nice kind of a matte sheen, <laughs> permanent matte. When th things are broken in our relationship between us, there is no break in the status of our marriage. What do you do when there's no break in the status of your marriage? You just work it out. That's what our relationship with God is like. There's no insecurity in the act of repentance. It's actually completely surrounded by the warmth and the bonds of our relationship with God and his covenant keeping to us. It's no different than when a child comes to you and they admit that they've broken something. Does it change your relationship as a parent to them? Not in any way. It shouldn't. It's just, well, let's figure this out. So we need to know that we are not risking our relationship with anyone, not with God, 
not with your core group, not with your friend. You're not risking relationship. You're resting on the relationship. We have confidence. So we just have to trust now that when God comes as the gardener in that image this morning and he prunes, it's actually in the security of relationship. It's with, as you read, it's with the purpose of bringing more fruit in our lives. Um, let me have the, our musicians come up, and I want to describe how we will respond this morning over the next few minutes. We can carry one of three attitudes in life. Number one, we can be closed to feedback. Number two, we can be open to feedback. Number three, we can be seeking feedback. I'm inviting us today to seek feedback from God. Let him speak and ask, well, what does he wish to prune in our lives so that we may be more fruitful? Just as a separate assignment, I think you could say, well, I, I would love to seek feedback from a friend, too, who could speak into my life. But let's begin with our relationship with God in these few moments. And let's make the process of turning, so acknowledging turning and new disciplines to be a completely normal and life-giving thing. Let me put up the next steps. Take time to normalize turning and repentance. In, in your prayer right now as we're singing, pray to God. Make it super normal. And talk to God. Use language like, God, help, or I regret, or I'm sorry, or I receive. Use that in your prayers. Learn to hear God's response, how much he loves, and delight in the freedom and the release of dead emotion and weight that comes from it. And if there's something on your heart where you're like, well, I, I do need to make something right with someone else, I'd encourage you to do that too. So like we did last night, spend some time listening, praying, and responding. And again, I'd love us, so it's morning time, let's just get our bodies engaged here. So fi maybe find a spot in the room or stand or kneel. Do something different than, than just static, basically. But allow your body to be engaged. It'll help your mind to stay engaged as we talk to Jesus. <laughs>